You are listening to an eight-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, The Lord's Prayer. The invitation from God is not into religion, but a relationship. And like any relationship, communication is vital to its success. This series explores Jesus' response to his disciples' desire to learn to pray. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's great to be with you here this morning. Uh, I I think today's the first time I've ever been introduced via video, which is actually just kind of weird, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know about you, but introductions are just, they're a little bit intriguing to me for a number of reasons. For example, there are some things about me that Brian didn't share. And those of you who don't know me, you don't know these things about me. For example, when I graduated college, I had a huge problem with gambling. I had an addiction to gambling. Years later, that got me into trouble to the extent that I ended up spending three years in jail for dealing drugs to help pay off some of my gambling debts. The very first house that Gail and I bought, it ended up being foreclosed on, and we ended up having to declare bankruptcy. Now, Brian didn't tell you those things. So you're left with an impression of me Wondering, okay, how do I relate to this guy based on what Brian said and then what Rick added in here? And the reason he didn't say those things about me is because I just made them all up. That's not true. Okay? None of the, yeah. Now, I'm not a pathological liar here. I'm trying, I'm going to make a point here. In fact, I didn't even tell Gail I was going to say those things. (laughs) She's about ready to have a heart attack up here on the front row. (laughs) I tried to get to that part really quick. But if if those of you who know me and know Gail, when I was saying those things, I I bet that altered your view of me. I'm sure it altered your view of Gail, probably ready to nominate her for sainthood. Poor Gail, you know. I didn't know Rick was such a jerk. I can't believe she went through all that stuff. Those of you who don't know us, you may have been thinking, oh man, this guy's really cool. I mean, finally we get at somebody who speak to us who's spent some time in the gutter versus someone who drives around in a minivan and listens to Taylor Swift all day long, you know. <laughs> now, if you're a guest, that's an inside joke because two weeks ago, Brian in his message referred to Taylor Swift on more than one occasion. And anybody who refers to Taylor Swift more than once deserves to be piled on and he's not here so we can do that, okay? So, but listen introductions, they, they shape how we perceive, at least initially, how we perceive those who are being introduced to us. That's true today, and it's true even 2,000 years ago when Jesus did this. And we're going to read a very familiar passage, the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus starts out with an introduction. He's going to introduce God to his followers. Now, they have a working knowledge of God, but it's not as Jesus related to God. So we're going to see this. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If uh, you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those black ones underneath the chair in front of you. And you can see starting in verse 5, it is on page 811. Page 811, starting, I'll give you some time to turn there, Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 5. You okay, sweetie? <laughs> okay. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, what we're going to see here in a little bit, Jesus is going to contrast two different groups here. 
And one of the things that's important to realize is these people, hypocrites, and then a little bit later, Gentiles, these are not irreligious people. These are people who pray. Okay? So he's contrasting the Christians with those who are religious. He says in verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this entire little passage that we read is enveloped in a wider passage that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is introducing to his followers and others, those who are listening, he's introducing to them the kingdom of God. Now prior to this time, the Israelites knew about the kingdom, but the way they viewed the kingdom was from a nationalistic or patriotic uh, or actually a political or militaristic point of view. That was their view of the kingdom. So Jesus comes on this and he says, no, 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 that's not what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of God isn't associated with a particular, in terms of a particular nation. You can't relegate it to politics. You can't relegate it to military, things like this. It has, it doesn't, that's not what it's about. So he teaches them things about the kingdom. There's story after story, and he makes some, some really good points. And in the midst of this, he begins this discourse on prayer. Now, if you look in Luke chapter 17, the disciples actually come to Jesus and say, hey, teach us how to pray. Now, that's pretty cool to think that you can live your life in such a way before God that people will come to you and say, wow, I really like how you live your life. There's something about you that I want in my life. Would you teach us how you pray? Would you teach us how you interact with God? We'd really like to know that. So Jesus, in this thing, he he introduces the kingdom, and then he says, basically, he says, look, if you want to know how I relate to God, you need to know God as I know him. Now, there's a couple things just in a very general way that we need to understand about introductions. And we all know them, but it's good to review uh, for for the sake of our story here. First thing is that introductions are totally unnecessary if the person being introduced is already known. Now, that's just common knowledge. So, for example, if all of you would know who I was, there would be no need for Brian to introduce me to you because you already know. I don't have to introduce Gail to Larry or to Alex and Maria or to some of you others that, that we know because you already know her. So there'd be no reason to introduce Gail to you. Now, so how does that apply to what Jesus is doing here? Well, basically, what he's saying is, look, you have a knowledge of God, but you don't know God as I know him. I need to introduce him to you. Here he is. He's our father. Because up until that time, that was never in anybody's understanding of how to relate to God. 
He was creator. He was sovereign ruler. He was savior. He was deliverer. And we could go on. There's a litany of titles by which people not only referred to God, but that's how they related to God. And so Jesus comes on the scene. He says, look, here's my relationship with God. He's father. And that was something that was totally new. Now, we're very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. So much so that we just, when we hear that, so our Father, our, we, we've got it memorized. And it just kind of is like it loses its zip a little bit. But for these people who are listening to what Jesus was saying, this was revolutionary. In fact, it's one of the things that got Jesus crucified. Because nobody had identified with God in this way. Now, the second thing about introductions are this, or is this. The person giving the introduction knows more about the person they're introducing than the people to whom they're offering the introduction. Now, let me say that again. The person giving the introduction knows more about the person they're introducing than the people to whom they're offering the introduction. For example, Brian mentioned that he and I have a long history together. I think it was back in 1998, Gail and I moved here in 96, to help with the, the Jubilee to get it launched off the ground. At that time, we were just one location. Uh, in 98, Brian visited the church, and on, after his second visit, uh, he walked into my office. I was full-time at the time. He walked into my office and said, look, I want to get in the game. And I said, well, what does that mean? I really want to really dedicate my life to God. I really want to get in the game. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. So I said, okay, let's do this. So for about a year, he and I would meet for lunch. Uh, He was a stockbroker in Clayton, so I'd go down to Clayton. We'd have lunch together. He'd come to the office, and we'd just meet. We'd talk. I I made sure he was in my community group. At that time, we'd call him something else. I said, you need to be in my group so, you know, I can work with you and, you know, show you some things. You can, you know, we can can dialogue together and that sort of thing. So we've got a lot of history together. And because he knows me, he's therefore qualified to introduce me to you. Okay? Now, that, that just goes without saying. So how does that apply to what Jesus is doing here? Well, as we mentioned, this is a new thing. And Jesus is introducing God to these folks, his disciples, these followers, as father because they didn't know God as father up until that point. So basically, Jesus is saying, look, you don't know him. And not only do you not know him this way, you don't know him like I know him. You may think you know him. You may think you have him figured out, but you don't. Hence the need for me to introduce you to him. Now, here's the point. It doesn't matter how long we've been walking with God. If you're a Christian and you've you've been a Christian for years, do not, do not make the mistake of believing that you have God figured out. You can't approach God that way. Let me explain. How do we relate to people that we believe we've got them figured out? Do you know how we relate to people like that? We dismiss them. Let's use teenagers, for example, because as we all know, teenagers know everything, right? So a teenager, they feel like they've got their parents all figured out. It doesn't matter what the parents say. It doesn't matter what the parents do. The teenagers know what's really happening. Oh, they don't want to help me. They just want to run my life. 
They're not trying to encourage me. They're not trying. My mom's not trying to do this. She just wants, she, she, just, she just doesn't value me. She doesn't, she doesn't like what I do. Now, our two boys are grown, so I can laugh and smile as I talk about this particular phase because they're through that phase. But I remember one particular high-volume discussion with one of our sons who will, rename, who will remain nameless. And in the middle of this discussion, he just blurted out, you're just trying to control me. I'm thinking, I can't even control my life. Why would I want to try and control yours? I got enough on my plate, thank you very much. But when we feel like we know somebody and we have them figured out, and this works both ways. It doesn't just work with teenagers and parents. Parents sometimes think they've got their, their kids all figured out. And when you think you've got someone all figured out, here's what you hear. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, blah, 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 blah. Spouses do this with each other. Oh, my husband will never change. I don't care what he says. He's not going to change. He's always that way. He says he's different. He's not any different. My wife's never going to change. I can never do enough to please her. It doesn't matter what I do. It's never good enough. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, do not ever, ever think that you've got figured out, got God figured out, because when you do, you will dismiss everything he says and everything he does. And you won't reap the benefits of that relationship. The children of Israel going through the Red Sea. Oh, I've heard that story before. I read it in my Bible just last week. Knowing the ark. Oh, I knew that from when I was a kid. Come on, let's go. Jesus being raised from the dead. Yeah, I hear that every Easter. Wish Brian would get a new sermon. (laughs) When we feel or believe that we've got God figured out. Now, we wouldn't ever say that. I don't think we're that stupid, okay? We wouldn't say it, but we think it sometimes and we feel it. And when we do... We dismiss what God says and we dismiss what he does to the extent that raising someone from the dead is blasé. Here's how to tell whether you approach God that way, whether you're dismissive of who he is. When was the last time you were in awe of him. When was the last time you felt? That's a hard word for a man, okay? But you felt the magnificence of his glory and grace and majesty and mercy. When was the last time you couldn't help yourself but raise your hands because of who he is? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Listen, folks, it's much, much more than that. It's so much more than that. Look at this scripture out of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Now, it's a different translation than what's in your, in the ESV. It's a, another translation says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, 
I would encourage you, just take that verse and somewhere this week, 10 minutes, just look at that verse. Put your cell phone in another room. Bury it in your yard. I don't care. 10 minutes quietly before God and think about the implications of that verse. It'll change your day. It'll change your week. It'll change your month. It could change your life. That is amazing. You felt like God loves you? You have no idea how much he loves you. No idea. And so Jesus introduces to these disciples God as father. He says, look, you want to relate to God the way I do? Then you need to know him as father. Let me introduce him to you. Now, also in this text, Jesus is showing us the two different ways we can relate to God. And these are the same with God as it is relating to other people. And we'll look at these scriptures again in in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. So once again, you've you've got the Christians and you've got the religious people. These are not irreligious people. These are religious people. He says, verse 6, but when you pray, and he's showing them how they're to pray. And when you pray, verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And we'll get into verse 7 a little bit in more detail. But what I want you to see, first of all, is that these Gentiles, these religious folks, the reason they think God will hear them is because of what they do. It's because of their many words. So the fact that when they pray, they have many words. You ever prayed with people like that? It's almost embarrassing, isn't it? They just go on and on and on. I say, yeah, I really wanted to pray in this meeting, but I don't think I'm going to get the opportunity because they just keep going on. And sometimes if you're a bit insecure, you can feel like, man, I don't have anything to say. I'm just not very close to God or whatever. And Jesus said, look, we're not, we're not, our relationship with God isn't based on what we do. And that's what these folks, these religious folks, it's, it's based on what they do. They, they believe they're heard uh, by God because of their many words. Basically, what they're operating on, we'll put it in kind of layman's terms here for us, 21st century, is that they're banking, they're basically, they're, they're operating on a business relationship with God. A business relationship is based on performance. It's based on what you do. And God's introducing, excuse me, Jesus is introducing God to them as family. He said, look, it's not a business relationship. It's a family relationship. And family relationships are based on identity, who you are, not based on what you do. So that's the contrast that he's making in this passage. And he wants them to understand that. For example, Gail and I, as I mentioned, we've got two sons. They're grown. And um, whenever we talk on the phone, when when I'm with them on the phone, um, Gail too, or whether we're video chatting or whatever, I always, when when I get off, I always say, I love you. Now, maybe I'm kind of weird about that, you know, but for me, it doesn't lose its punch. Because as, that's... That whole thing, I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I don't, I don't you know, the whole emotional thing, I don't, I'm not very good at that. Um, but I want my boys to know that I love them. 
And for men, that's difficult sometimes to communicate. But I don't want them to go through life thinking they don't know whether their dad or mom loves them. We want them to know. So we say that to them. Now, the other thing I say to the boys on a regular basis, I'm proud of you. Because as a man, I just think that there's something that's significant about that. So many times when I, when I say to the boys, if we're on a conference call with them or a phone call together or we're video chatting, I'll say, hey, maybe they've done something. I say, look, I just want you guys to know we're, we're so proud of you. Gail comes in with the feminine perspective and she says, but we do want you to know we still love you. We'd be proud of you even if you didn't do these things, okay? <laughs> Which is helpful. It used to frustrate me, but, you know, she wants them to know it's not based on what they do. It's based on the fact that there are boys. There's nothing they can do that's going to make us love them more. There's nothing they can do that's going to make us love them less. Now, they may frustrate us at times, but it doesn't change the love we have for them. We love them just the same, and we want them to know that. And that's the gist of what God is, is Jesus is saying here. He says, look, when, when you relate to God, you don't relate to him based on business, Let me give you another example. I'm in the real estate business here in St. Louis. So I know a number of uh, uh, landlords who own rental properties throughout the city. And one of the things that these landlords will say is it's important in your landlord-tenant relationships that you don't mix business with relationships. There needs to be a dividing line. For example, business relationships are based on uh, the... uh, procurement of goods and services. So the tenant pays for goods and services which the landlord provides. As long as the tenant pays, the landlord provides. When the tenant stops paying, the landlord can stop providing to the extent that they can even evict the tenant. And when that happens, the relationship comes usually comes to an end you know, at that point in time. But if you have crossed the line, these landlords will say, if you've crossed the line in this business relationship into a more of a family relationship or a real friendship with them, then if it becomes necessary to evict the the tenant, that gets really, really difficult. So you keep things as business. And that's the proverbial thinking. Business relationships are based on performance. Family relationships are based on identity. They're not based on what you do. They're based on who you are. One is conditional the other is unconditional. And when a family relationship erodes to the place of a business relationship, it just becomes a mess. It's mechanical. It's, there's, no, and there's no life in it. it just is, it's just business. And Jesus is imploring us in these verses, five through eight, don't relate to God like he is your landlord. He's not your landlord. He wants to be your father. He doesn't want to have a landlord-tenant relationship with you. Now, one of the ways that we know whether or not we've uh, entered into this thing, Jesus shows us. In verse 7, it says here, it says it talks about that one of the many ways or the things that the the Gentiles do is they believe they're heard because of their many words. Now, the word many in the original language that the New Testament was written in means anxious. So here's a way to tell whether you're relating to God as landlord or whether you're relating to him as father. 
When your prayers are not answered, how do you respond? Does it cause you to be cold and mechanical or anxious or both? So, for example, you could cause you to be cold. So you could say, hey, I paid the rent. How come I'm not getting an answer? I did my part. God, where are you? Why is this turning out this way? I gave. I served. I did this. I did this. Where are you? Or... You could respond by saying, you know what? I didn't pay the rent, so I I can understand why he didn't do this. I didn't do my part. I don't expect God to do his part. Both are rooted in business relationship, not family. It's not a family relationship at all. And some people actually go through life with the mindset, I failed God. And because I failed God, I'm destined for this. I should have never married the person that God had me, you know, because I I knew it was the wrong thing to do. So now I've got a crappy marriage and that's that's just the way it is. I've got a bad job because I made a mistake. God, you know, he told me to take this other job, but I thought this was best. So now I'm just, I've got to live with this. And you can go on and on and on and on. Hey, newsflash, we've all failed. All of us have failed God somewhere along the line. We've all done that. And if God is who the Bible says he is, if he's just, righteous, and holy, if he is those things, then he must punish sin. He must punish injustice. If there was a judge who let someone guilty go free, we would say that judge is unjust. We would say they cannot be trusted. So for God to be just, for him to be righteous, for him to be God, he must punish sin. He has to. And that's what the good news is. Because the judge says, I'll send my son to pay your penalty. So Jesus hung on the cross, took our sin upon himself, took our place so that we could be ushered in to God's family by faith. That's amazing. And it was so much more than physical because there's this whole spiritual element that was involved with that. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross? He said, he said uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on his own son because he took our sin. It says he became sin. He didn't just take our sin. He became sin. And the holy and righteous God turned his back on his own son so that we could be brought into his family knowing that he would never turn his back on us. That's amazing. That's the good news. And God wants us to know you can't earn that. It's... You're, you're ushered into this family. You're brought, you're, when you're brought into this family, it's not based on performance. A religious person relates to God by saying, God, come into my life. I'll do my part. You do your part. A Christian says, God, come into my life as father. Because I know I could never, ever deserve your love and mercy. I'm overwhelmed by your grace 
and mercy. But I also know I'm welcome into your family based on what Jesus has done for me. That's amazing. It is really amazing. Now, Jesus, that brings us to this last point about this word, our. This is a very, very significant word. One of the um, metaphors that the New Testament talks about salvation, identifies salvation with, is the metaphor of adoption. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing and magnificent metaphor for salvation because adopted kids are chosen. How cool is that? I was born into my family. I have a brother who's only 11 months older than me, which makes me wonder that I probably wasn't planned. You know, it's like, hmm, you know. Nobody in their right mind has kids 11 months apart. You just don't do that. But you know what? If you're adopted, you're chosen. How cool is that? God chooses you. He says, I want you for myself. I want you. The Bible refers to Jesus, New Testament refers to Jesus as the firstborn So he's the firstborn, and yet everyone else who comes into this family receives Christ as Lord and Savior, they're adopted. And get this, the adopted kids get everything the firstborn has. Is that amazing or what? That is incredible. Why? Not because of anything we did. Number one, Jesus never intended to be an only child. He never wanted the Father to himself. His love for the Father was so great, he wanted others to experience it. Look at this verse in John 17. This is amazing. He's speaking to the Father. It's a prayer. And he says, I in them, meaning the disciples, that'd be us, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me, and look at this, and loved them even as you loved me. Now, if I were to ask you to write on your communication card on a one to 10 scale, how much does God love Jesus? Most of us would put 10. But if I said, how much do you feel like God loves you? I'm not sure there'd be too many 10s. But the right answer is 10. That's how he feels about us. That's, and we need to get caught up in that. And maybe the reason you don't feel that, you don't sense it, and God's not real to you is because you're relating to him as a landlord. And you've got this goods and services thing going on where, hey, I'll do this, and if I read my Bible, and if I pray, and if I do this, then God will be good to me. And, you know, I can't expect him not to if I don't do my part. And all this. Let go of that. Is that how you want, those of you who are parents, is that how you want your kids relating to you? I don't. I want them just to know that I love them for who they are. They don't have to do anything. Business relationships say, 
Because you perform, we accept you. Family relationships say, we accept you, therefore you don't have to perform. So where are you? Let me tell you, if Jesus, if God is your landlord, you'd be very frustrated. Your life will be like this. It'd be like this. Because there are days when you perform rather well. And there are days we don't perform well. But God is calling us into this wonderful, wonderful family that he longs for us to be a part of. And folks, out of anybody, out of anybody who walks the face of this earth, Christians should be the most gracious and non-judgmental people there are. Because we know we've been adopted. We've been chosen by God, not because of anything in and of ourselves. When we get that, we're, we're cognizant of the grace that's been given to us, the, the amazing grace that's been given to us. We think, how could we withhold grace from other people? Because we've been given it without merit. Why would we withhold it from others? We ought to be the most gracious, non-judgmental people there are. Look at this last scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. You know, one reason it's not a result of works, because if we all get to heaven, it's a result of works, We'd be going around and say, hey, how'd you get here? Boy, I didn't plan on seeing you here. What on earth did you do? And we'd be like, well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. Listen, that's not heaven. That'd be hell. There's no difference between that and where we're at right now. I mean, that's what we have in this life. I did this. I did this. Listen, that's not what it's about. It's about God's glory. It's about him being a father to us and bringing us into his family and accepting us based on what Jesus has done for us. Based on what he has done for us.